Good morning. Welcome to worship, everybody. Welcome if you're joining us by Facebook. I love this song. It's kind of an oldie goldie. It's been around for a long time, but it's like the only song that I can play my harmonica on. So I look forward to it, you know, doing it at least once a year, you know. So it's called Rock of Ages, and we're going to have a little fun. So let's, let's stand up and let's sing together. Rock of Ages. the rock, there is no God like our God, no other name worthy of all our praise, the rock of salvation that cannot be moved, he's proven himself to be faithful and true, there is no rock, there is no God like God, there is no rock. There is no God like our God, no other name worthy of all our praise. The rock of salvation that cannot be moved, he's proven himself to be faithful and true. There is no rock, there is no God like God. Come on, here we go, rock of ages. Rock of ages. Jesus is the rock, rock of ages. Jesus is the rock, rock of ages. Jesus is the rock. There is no rock, there is no God like God. There is no rock. There is no God like our God, no other name worthy of all our praise. The rock of salvation that cannot be moved, he's proven himself. 
Jesus is the rock, rock of ages. Jesus is the rock, rock of ages. Jesus is the rock. There is the rock. There is no God like us. How's that Bob Dylan feel to it, doesn't it? I feel like, in, anyway, you don't know who that is, do you? Who's Bob Dylan? I knew you were going to say just that. Just kidding, just kidding. Hey, welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you're here to worship with us. And if you're a guest, we're especially glad that you're here, and we want to welcome you. And a great way that we can get to know each other better is through the guest registration card that's located here in the pew rack. If you could just take that, fill it out for us for just a moment. And then after our service, if you could just walk to the Welcome Center, you just go out the double doors and hang a left. There's a box. You can drop this in or you can hand it to somebody there. And we have a small gift for you for joining us this morning. So today we celebrate baptism in our 945 and our 11 o'clock service. And when we think about baptism, we know it's a symbol of an inward reality. But it's also a testimony to the world that Jesus is Lord. So as we gather, I want us to reflect for just a moment about our baptisms and think about um, what that day was like for you, whether you were seven years old or there's a number before the seven and you were that many years old. Um, think about that day for just a moment. And then the next thing we want to think about is I want you to think about how God could save someone like us, right? And be reminded of the joy of our salvation. And as we well up with joy and with awe that God has chosen to be our friends, let that be the motivation of our worship this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. God, that you would reach down and save people like us, God. 
Lord, may we be reminded of what you have done for us, God. And then, Lord, in a small way back, Lord, as your people, we want to gather and praise you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, he gives life. He is love. Great are you, Lord. Will you stand and let's sing together. Shout your 
our hearts will cry, these bulls will sing. Great are you, Lord, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, we pour out our praise, it's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out No matter what comes our way, that we can in you say, it is well with my soul. Not because of anything we've done, but because of who you are and what you've done. We can trust you. Grander earth has quaked before, moved by the sound of his voice. And seas that are shaken and stirred Can be calmed and broken for my regard Through it all, through it all My eyes are on you Through it all, through it all It is well Through it all, through it all my eyes are on you, and it is well with me. <clears throat> and far be it from me to not believe, even when my eyes can't see. And this mountain that's in front of me Will be thrown into the midst of the sea And through, through it all, through it all My eyes are on you And through it all, through it all It is well and through it all, through it all my eyes are on you, it is well, it is well. So let go, my soul, and trust in Him. The waves and wind still know His name. So let go, my soul, and trust Still know his name. So let it go, my soul, and trust. 
waves and wind still know his name. The waves and wind still know his name. And he It's hard to say it is well with my soul when we're going through those difficult, trying times. But Lord, I know that, that you've said that if we just look to you, put our trust in you, that you will never let us down. And so, Lord, today we come to you with troubled hearts, with uh, things in our lives that we wish were different, with uh, sin that we need to confess with aches and pains that we call out to you, Lord. And sometimes it seems like it's a long time before we can see any resolution. 
So, Lord, help us. Help us to say it is well with my soul despite the, the things that we go through, Lord. Lord, help us to say it is well. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you. A joy to worship with you this morning. There's a lot going on in our world right now. I'd like to just lead us in a time of pastoral prayer again. If I may, we could just pray for some of the hurting uh, people in the world right now. Would you join me in, in another time of prayer, please? Father in heaven, I just feel compelled today to intercede on behalf of groups and people that we know of who are hurting. Uh, we prayed last week for the people of Afghanistan, and today many churches across our country have declared this a day of prayer for Afghanistan. We pray for our American citizens there. We pray for uh, those who are in harm's way that you would be with them. Lord, we continue to pray for the people of Haiti in this devastating earthquake in which uh, hundreds and hundreds have died and hundreds of thousands are without homes. We pray your grace and mercy to them. And then today, Lord, closer to home, we pray for our neighbors and our friends in Waverly and McEwen, Tennessee and surrounding areas who were devastated yesterday by flooding, over 10 people dead, over 30 still missing, and hundreds and hundreds of homes gone. Uh, Lord, uh, we pray for them. There are churches in those towns today that cannot meet because their buildings have been flooded with mud or destroyed, and we pray for those congregations. Uh, Lord, uh, we want to pray for... Uh, the people who are dealing with COVID, as we here have another spike of that, and I know there are people watching this service right now from home because they're having to quarantine, and people in our own church family, we pray for them, pray for their well-being. Lord, all of these things just remind us our world is broken, but Lord, the good news is you said, I'm going to make all things new, and we long for that, Lord. And we thank you that you began, not with creation, but you began with people, and you make people new. I pray even today there might be people who would be a harbinger of that new creation, that people might come to know Christ, and that we might have faith in him and hope in him, and that we'll be completely new people, and we'll be a forerunner of the day when you're going to make everything new until that time. Be with those who are hurting and help each of us to put our trust and our hope in you and in you alone. We love you, Lord. We thank you for your goodness and grace. In the name of Jesus, amen. I'm sharing a series of sermons uh, from the life of Abraham from the book of Genesis. And the theme of this series is that God acts, how will I respond? Each week, we're seeing the activity of God in the life of Abraham, and I hope that you will look for that same kind of activity in your life. We saw the first week that God calls people. He called Abraham to go to a new place, and he still calls people. And he might be calling you. Are you thinking about, how is God calling me? Maybe he may call you across the street or around the world, but he calls people to go to people who are hurting or to people who need Jesus. And then we saw the activity of God that he allows trials in our life in order to test and mature our faith. And so would you see your troubles as having a purpose as you go through them? Would you see, God, I, I want your work to be complete in me. We saw last week that God's activity includes his provision. And Abraham had a military victory. And Melchizedek reminded him, 
this wasn't your strategy that brought this about alone, but it was the hand of God. Every good outcome in your life comes from God. He provides. Are we giving back to Him? So today we come to Genesis chapter 15. We want to look for the activity of God in the life of Abraham again. And so we begin in Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. If you have your Bible open or follow on the screen, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. So it starts out, God gives a vision to Abram in the night. And it says, after this, so it's after that military victory that he's had where he goes and rescues Lot and his family. And God said to him, do not be afraid, Abram. Maybe God's saying that to you today. Don't be afraid. You see, Abram, before chapter 14, had sort of a low profile in the land of Canaan. He was just an immigrant there. But then he entered the war, rescued Lot. Now he's raised his profile. He stirred the pot. He's probably got some enemies now, right? And so God says to him, Abram, don't be afraid. Because he says, I am your shield. And so Abram If you have enemies now, remember, I'm your shield. The Bible says in Psalm 1830, he is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Isn't that great? If you take refuge in God today, he'll be your shield. And he says, your very great reward. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. Abram had turned down a reward from the king of Sodom. Remember that at the end of chapter 14? But now God says to him, hey, I'll be your reward. Whenever you do what's right, God says, I'll be your reward. So, verse 2, Abram responded. He said, Sovereign Lord. Now, remember, we were learning the names of God. There are a bunch of them in the story of Abraham, our titles for God. Well, here's another one we haven't seen before. We've seen the two separately, but here they are put together for the first time. Sovereign Lord is the NIV translation of the name of God, Yahweh, and the title for God that means Master, Adonai. Both of them are usually translated Lord in your Bible. But when you put them together, it sounds sort of odd to say, everyone said Lord, Lord, so, because they're two different words, so the, it translates it Sovereign Lord. So here's Yahweh Adonai is what it's saying. The name of God and the title of God, Sovereign Lord. What can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? This matter of him, God has promised he'll be a great nation, But he doesn't have any kids, and his wife is getting old and not able to have kids, and so is he. And what uh, Abram just can't understand this. Be times when you don't understand what God's doing. The one who will inherit my estate is a a slave. And Abram said, verse 3, you've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. And then, verse 4, the word of the Lord came to him, this man will not be your heir. But a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. And he took him outside. So when Abram has had this vision, it's been at night. He's been in his tent. Maybe God's awoken him at night. And so God says to Abram now, let's go outside. So Abram in the night throws back that tent flap and steps outside. And God says to him, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them then he said to him so shall your offspring be this passage reminded me two years ago today uh, Cindy and I were in Hawaii Um, we were celebrating our 40th wedding anniversary and I told Cindy I said I've been to every state but two Wisconsin and Hawaii which one do you want to go to and she picked Hawaii (laughs) and uh, so we went to Hawaii And one of the things I wanted to do that we got to do when we were on the big island of Hawaii 
is that is the place where there are more observatories, astronomy, than anywhere in the world because the conditions of uh, no light pollution, clear skies, air inversion, all these things make it the biggest uh, telescopes in the world are on, on Mauna Kea in Hawaii. So we, you can't drive there, so we sign up for a tour, take you in a four-wheel drive vehicle up on the slopes of Mauna Kea at night, and they fed us a, a box lunch under a tent, so we were under a tent like Abraham. Then when it got dark, they had this astronomy specialist, and you step out from under that tent. And I've never seen stars like that before. We have such light pollution in the United States, and there's no light pollution, and the skies are clear, and it's just, I just, oh, it's incredible. And the Milky Way, it stretched from all across the sky. There were so many stars, it just blurred together. I've never seen anything like that before. And this is something like what Abram would have seen when he pulled his tent flap back and stepped out, and God said, don't you count those stars? That's how many descendants you're going to have. What an incredible promise. And you know what? How that has come true? Today there are 14 million Jews alive today. Descendants of this man. Not counting all the Jews who have lived throughout history. But more than that, we're going to learn that when you put your faith in Jesus, you become a child of Abraham. And so every Christian fulfills this promise. There are 2.2 billion Christians on the face of the earth today. And not counting all the Christians who have ever lived, God's promises are true. Still like the stars of the sky. The next verse, Genesis 15, 6, is the most important verse in the story of Abraham. If you want to work, learn one verse from these chapters, I'd suggest this is the verse you memorize. This is one of the greatest verses in all the Old Testament. Genesis 15, 6. Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Do you get that? To be, have righteousness is to be right with God. God took Abram's faith when he believed God, even though the evidence did not seem to be there, and God charged or counted or reckoned or credited it to his account as righteousness. Here's the deal. You and I, every human being, we have a righteousness account, okay? And your righteousness shows up on your balance. You ever called the bank and asked them what your balance was? Or nowadays, if you checked online to see what your balance in your bank account was? Have you ever checked online or called the bank and thought, oh, no, that's not good? Well, let me tell you about our goodness account. We're all overdrawn. The standard is perfection to get to heaven. None of us has enough in our account to get there. Now, we think it's like Jeopardy where you just got to get more right than the other person, right? You know, we think, you know, we just do better, you know, get above zero, we go to final Jeopardy. If you want it to be like Jeopardy, it's you run the board, you answer every question, your opponents never buzz in, you get every question right. That's never happened on Jeopardy. That's the standard, and your righteousness account is in bad shape. You're not going to get to heaven. But the good news is, if you put your faith in God, he'll credit it to your account as righteousness. What? That's what it says. How can he do that? Well, let's look. Let's go to the New Testament, because this verse is taken over in several places in the New Testament. It's one of those great verses. And I want to go to the greatest letter ever written, the letter of Romans. And he spends a whole chapter on this verse. We're just going to hit the highlights in Romans 4. But first, let me read to you Romans 3, 22 through 24. How can God 
Credit faith to your goodness account and count it as righteousness. Here's how. Romans 3, verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So if you'll believe in Jesus, you can have your righteousness account credited and you'll be right with God you'll go to heaven. How? There's no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of perfection of the glory of God and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So that's how he can count your faith as righteousness and still be a completely fair and just God because Jesus has died in your place and he has infinite righteousness in his infinite account. And all of that infinite righteousness is credited to your account when you put your faith in Jesus. That's the plan of salvation. Now, Romans 4, he takes this verse, Genesis 15, 6, and spends a whole chapter on it. Let me just hit the highlights. First of all, it says that Abraham illustrates that no one is saved by works. That's the popular idea. If I'm a pretty good person, I'll go to heaven. If I'm better than more, most people, I'll go to heaven. If I'm not a terrorist, I'll go to heaven. But look at what... Romans 4 says, What shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this manner? In fact, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say? Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he uses Abraham because this was the guy that they, these Jews respected the most. He's the father of their nation. He's the greatest figure in their history. And so he uses this example to show even the greatest and best of you was not counted righteous by his goodness or his deeds, but by faith in Jesus. And you won't get to heaven unless you put your faith in Jesus. Then in verse 10... He says, Abraham illustrates that no one is saved by ritual or religion, you could say. By any religious ritual. Verse 10, under what circumstances was it credited? All this chapter is a comment on this one verse. Was it after he was circumcised or before? It was not after, but before. Here's the deal. The Jews felt that circumcision guaranteed salvation. That is, if you were in the Jewish family, every Jew was going to heaven. That's what, that's what they thought. But what he uses the example of Abraham was, he's circumcised in chapter 17, but he's declared righteous in chapter 15, right? And in chapter 15 is where he says it's credited to him as righteousness, his faith. He is saying, Faith in Jesus is the only thing that will save you. So if you're counting on church membership or uh, communion or having taken the Eucharist or the Mass or christening or sprinkling or, or, or coming to church or any kind of thing that you do even that is religious and that is how Satan has deceived many people in our culture. I, I'm a Christian because I go to church or I belong to First Baptist Church or I'm in the Catholic Church or I'm whatever. I've been, I've been sprinkled when I was infant. I've been baptized. Listen, I believe in baptism, but baptism without faith just gets you wet. It doesn't get you saved. And it is before that ritual that Abram was saved. It's before that ritual that you must be saved. It is through faith in Jesus Christ. So verses 23 and 24, the words it was credited to him were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord 
from the dead. So this statement he's saying is for us. And every one of us can depend on this. What a great assurance that is. No matter how bad you've been, what you've done. Because the infinite righteousness of Jesus. You put your faith in Jesus and it's credited to your account. And so God will credit righteousness to the account of anyone who believes in Jesus. Well, let's go back to Romans, or back to Genesis 15 and continue. So in verse 7, he, God made an addition, that additional promise, repeated it. He said, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land, to take possession of it. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I'll gain possession of it? Now, he's had faith, but he's asking for some assurance. Is there any assurance? You can have salvation without having assurance of salvation. And sometimes you need to be assured of salvation. And so he says, how can I know that, I'm going to take possess- that my descendants will take possession of the land? So, verse 9, the Lord said, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abram brought all these to him and cut them in half and arranged the animals opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. Now, what in the world is going on here? That sounds odd to us. We've got all these half animals lying here. Here's the deal. This apparently, from what we know in Scripture, was a covenant ceremony. God is offering to make a covenant with Abraham to give him this assurance. And in this covenant, you took these sacrificial animals and you split them down the backbone and you put one half the animal over here and one half over here. You made sort of an aisle of them, two rows of them, and you walked between them. And as you were making the covenant, you were saying, may what happened to these animals happen to me if I don't keep this covenant? That's pretty pretty strong, right? Let me show you a background verse so you can see that I'm not making this up. In Jeremiah chapter uh, 34, verse 18, we have just a little background there. Jeremiah 34, 18. Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walked between its pieces. You hear it there? So that's sort of the background of how we have figured out what in the world is going on in Genesis 15. And so God is committing himself to Abram, and he's having him do this covenant ceremony. So it says in verse 11, birds of prey came down on the carcasses, but Abram drove them away. And as the sun was setting, so it had been night when he had the vision, this has been all through the day that this sacrifice has been laid out. Now it's getting night again. As the sun was setting, Abram fell into a deep sleep. It gets sort of mysterious here. A thick and dreadful darkness came over him. And then the Lord said to him, and I want you to hear these words. This paragraph that we're about to go through will really help you to understand some of the ways of God if you get this. God really reveals sort of how he does some things here in this paragraph. So he says, Lord said to him, know for certain, verse 13, that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. Now, first thing we learn is God knows the future. God's telling him what's going to happen 400 years ago, and God has a plan. I'm glad God knows the future and God has a plan. I often wonder what's going to happen to America five years from now, much less 400 years from now. I just don't have much idea what's going to happen to us in the next 20, 50 years. Do you? 
But God knows 400 years what's going to happen to America. He knew 400 years, and he's telling Abram a glimpse of it in this strange covenant ceremony here. And God had a plan. He's got a plan for 400 years from now. You don't have to go crazy fretting about everything. God's got this. You just go to bed tonight and go to sleep. He's got it. He knows what's going to happen. And then he says, for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated there. Really? After he made all these promises to Abram, there's going to be slavery in their future? We learn that God's plan sometimes includes trials and suffering. That's just sometimes part of his plan that things could not be accomplished in their lives without it, and maybe God couldn't accomplish some of the things he wants to accomplish in our lives without it. Trust him in that time. And then he says, but I'll punish the nation they serve as slaves, because he's just, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. So that's his prophecy of when in the days of Abram's grandson, Jacob, they're going to go down to Egypt, and they're going to stay there 400 years, and they're going to become slaves. And in the Exodus, Moses is going to lead them out. And this is a prophecy of that. They'll come out with great possessions. Verse 15, you, however, will go to your ancestors in peace and be buried at a good old age. In the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here. After 400 years, your descendants will come back here. For the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. Now, here's what we learned. God is completely fair and incredibly patient. Completely fair and incredibly patient. Why doesn't God just give this land to Abram right now? He said he's going to do it. Why didn't he just give it to him now? Well, we learn that God has some reasons. And from other books of the Bible, we learn that part of it was they had to multiply to become a large enough nation to, to take the land and to occupy it, or the Bible says that wild animals would have overcome them, thorns, it would have grown up. They, they weren't big enough in Abram's day if he gave them this land now. So that's one reason. But the other reason here is that the people who were in the land, the sin of the Amorites had not yet reached its full measure. To take it, to give it to Abram, he had to take it from somebody. And God's not going to take it until he has been long-suffering and just. Because you see, God is going to judge these Amorites by taking it and giving it to them. And he says, their sin has not yet reached its full measure. It'd be 400 years. And so you see, God is so patient. He's given these Amorites 400 years to repent. And he's not going to drive them out of the land before that. God is completely fair. Some people, when they get to Joshua and they read how Joshua came into this land in fulfillment of this, and he killed the people of the land, and they say, I can't believe the Bible because there's all this murder and genocide and killing in that. Yes, there is, but let me tell you, that was a directive of God who waited 400 years to do it, giving them opportunity to repent. And so God is completely fair and incredibly patient. And we can compare this to hell. God, there is a hell. But if you go to hell, you're going to climb over the incredible patience and amazing grace of God just as it would happen here. 
This is sort of a preview of hell. God judges and completely wipes out these Amorites. But he does it only when their sins have reached the full measure and they have had incredible time of patience. God's God. He can do that. But yet God is so incredibly patient. Isn't that amazing? So it says in verse 17, when the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. I think that's representing the presence of God. So it's as if God is walking down between those two rolls of halved animals. He's committing himself to Abraham. He's making a covenant with Abraham. And he says, verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land from the wadi of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates. What do we learn about the activity of God here? God is a covenant-making God. He promises. He commits himself to people. He'll commit himself to you if you'll accept his covenant. If you'll believe him, you'll be justified by your faith, and he'll commit himself to you. In the days of Noah, God made a covenant with Noah. First time the word appears in Genesis, in the Bible, and he said, I'm not going to destroy the earth again by water. I promise you that. In the days of Abram, he made a covenant with him and said, I'm going to give you this land, and I'm going to make you a great nation. And then there is coming a new covenant he told to Jeremiah. Let me read to you Jeremiah 31, 31. This covenant-making God says in Jeremiah 31, 31, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. And he says in verse 33, This is the covenant I'll make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds. I'll write it on their hearts. I'll be their God, and they'll be my people. And this is fulfilled in the coming of his son, Jesus Christ. And it says in Luke 22, verse 20, that the night before he died for us, Jesus took a cup and, of wine. And he said in Luke 22, 20, in the same way after supper, he took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And God has committed himself to us in the new covenant. The sign, every covenant had a sign. The sign of Noah's covenant. What was the sign of Noah's covenant God gave? A rainbow in the sky. I won't destroy the earth again. What was the sign of Abram's covenant? We're going to get to it in chapter 17. It was circumcision. Every male was to be circumcised. That was the sign of the covenant. Old covenant. What's the sign of the new covenant? Jesus said, this is the covenant in my blood. And so baptism and the Lord's Supper become the signs of the covenant. Remember I said to you that baptism is not going to save you. But now I want to say to you, baptism is important. It is the rainbow of the covenant. It's the sign of the covenant. It is where we show that we are in a relationship with God. And the Lord's Supper, when we take it, is the renewal of that covenant. God is a covenant-making God. Amazing that the great God of the universe would want to bind himself to you. And he says, if you'll trust me, you'll believe in me I'll count it as righteousness and he says I'll covenant myself to you and I'll be your God and you'll be my people would you bow with me in prayer father I pray right now if there's someone here in this building or watching this service online
who would say, I've been trusting in my ritual or I've been trusting in my works. Today, I want to put my faith in Jesus. And Jesus, in spite of what I've done wrong, I ask you to count that as righteousness. I pray right now for anyone who would say that, Jesus, I put my faith in you. And I pray, Lord, that they will know you and you'll enter into a covenant with them. Thank you, Lord, for this covenant relationship. If there are people here who are worried and distressed about the future, their own personal future or our world's future, I pray, Lord, that they will see today that they can go to sleep tonight, they can live without worry because you've got this. You're a covenant-making God who knows the future, who has a plan, who's incredibly patient and completely fair, and we rest in that, Lord, and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand together with me? We're going to sing a song right now. During this song is an opportunity for you to come declare your faith and uh, present yourself for baptism or to join our church. If you want to pray about something in your life, somebody will be here to pray with you or you can pray alone. As God speaks to you, would you come? You can still, at the end of the service, come in. If you want to talk further, I'll be at the Welcome Center. I invite you to come by there. But if you want to come, I invite you to come right now. This mountain can't be moved. They say these chains will never break. But they don't know you like we do. There is power in your name. We've heard that there is no way through. We've heard the tide will never change. They haven't seen what you can do. There is power in your name. So much power in your name. Move the immovable, break the God, we believe, God, we believe for it. From the impossible, we'll see a miracle. God, we believe, God, we believe for it. We know that hope is never lost. Impossible, we'll see. 
a miracle. God, we believe. God, we believe for it. You are the way when there seems to be no just a moment. A couple of quick announcements before we uh, close here this morning. I just want to remind you about our Wednesday evening activities. Uh, we've got activities for all ages. There's CDP classes. Uh, there's children's ministry activities. If you're a middle school or high school student, we start our student ministry service at 6 p.m. So we'd love to have your students come and be a part of that. And so challenging messages, student-led uh, praise bands, small groups that follow for them to be able to engage and apply what they've learned. And so we'd love to have your student come be a part of that at 6 p.m. on Wednesday. And so also, this morning, if you have not got connected with a connection group, we'd love to invite you to do that. And so as you're exiting out of the worship center this morning, you can head down uh, to your left and you'll see the welcome desk down there and they can uh, help you locate a class that would be uh, perfect for you and, and for your needs. And so please uh, consider staying this morning for a connection group and, and getting connected with a smaller group of people here in, in our uh, body of believers. And so this morning, as you are exiting, you have the chance to be able to give and just uh, give back to God uh, for all the different ways he's blessed you. And so those, those uh, offering boxes are there on the back wall as you're exiting out. And if you're a first-time guest, you can take that white card to the welcome desk and... Uh, Daniel McKenzie, our discipleship pastor, will be there this morning, and he'd love to have the chance to meet you. Let me close this out in prayer, and then uh, we will be dismissed. Father God, we thank you uh, just for the chance to be able to come and hear that you are a covenant-making God, that you don't leave us where we're at, but that you provide a way for us uh, to be renewed, to, to receive righteousness in your name's sake. And so, God... Uh, when there, as we just sang, when there seemed to be no way, God, you made the way through your son, Jesus Christ. And we just say thank you for that. Lord, thank you for salvation in you. Lord, we look forward to these baptisms in the next, uh, the next two services. And just thank you uh, for their witness and for their testimony, the change in your life that you've produced in them. God, it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. One, two, three,
Forever, from the 